this week on Missions Today. We both had just such a heart and passion for these kids at risk. And so when I was able to go to Russia and he was able to go with me, it was the very first trip. And so we go into these orphanages and of course they're just precious kids. And this one particular young boy ran up to us and began calling us mama and papa immediately. And we were just like, none of the other kids are doing that. He's calling us mama and papa. You know, what are we supposed to do with this Lord? James 1.27 says this is true religion, that you're for the orphan and widow true religion. That's a pretty strong phrase and one that our guest this week takes very seriously. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Well, she began her career as a lawyer seeking to help endangered species, but God had something different in mind. He exposed her to the tough streets of Dallas, Texas and the needs that were all around her, the needs of young people without parents. Amy Norton is the co-founder and vice president of Strategic Partnerships for Orphan Outreach, a ministry committed to help orphans around the world. Her passion dramatically ramped up with a trip to Russia, and that passion has been growing ever since. Today, her organization is working in many countries, including Russia and Ukraine, both currently in the news and both even now dealing with an orphan crisis. We have a lot to get to, so let's get started. Amy, thanks so much for joining us today on missions today. So glad to be here. Let's just start with orphans. Where did your passion for orphans come from? You know, it's always amazing to look back on your life and see the, the way the Lord works in so many ways. And um, I actually, I went to law school, came out of law school thinking I was going to do more environmental. I had a huge heart for, you know, animals and and the environment and endangered species kind of things. And I've done some internships there, but I was also volunteering down in the inner city and um, with a Christian ministry where I was just seeing kids who didn't have fathers in their lives and all of the crisis and things they were going through and trauma, which really began giving me a heart for kids who'd been abandoned, kids who suffered from neglect. And as I, as I did that, I became a guardian ad litem for children with, the, with Dallas County. So I was representing children who'd been taken out of their home for abuse and neglect. And the guardian ad litem represents those children's interests, whether they're going to stay in the family, whether they're going to go into adoption. And so that then led me to a small Christian firm where I was doing some adoption work. Mike Duras, our um, president, who's worked with me now for almost 30 years, came alongside and asked me to be the attorney, helping them finalize adoptions at Buckner. And then that led to me sharing a lot of ideas about my work in the inner city and seeing moms in crisis, teen moms, things like that. And he said, well, you know, we'd really love for you to come on board and be director of our adoption maternity program. And at the time I thought, oh, I'm just going to still be doing legal work. And turns out I was over the whole adoption maternity program. And the very first day on the job, there was a lady there from Russia who said, we have children in the orphanages. Would you please help us find family for these children? So few months later, I'm in orphanages with my husband in Russia. And of course, being an inner city youth ministry, we're like, we can do this. We can adopt one of these children. We hadn't even had our own children yet and ended up adopting a nine-year-old boy with special needs from the orphanages. And so just to say, it's a long story, but there's lots of little, you know, path, the path the Lord took me down. We now, that young man who was nine is now 35, and um, we've had two biological children since then. But that just started the journey in orphan care, learning about kids. You know, the Lord really gave me the opportunity to learn about kids from the ground up by working with them, 
by working with these families and then had no idea I would then be involved in so many international countries seeing orphans and um, working through that same dynamic. I know that you have a faith basis for all you do. Tell us how you came to know Christ. I was very blessed to grow up in a Christian home in little small West Texas. And so I, I knew the Lord from a very early age. But really when I got into college was when I started being involved with more Christian ministries and lots of Campus Crusade for Christ and some of those folks who really talked to me. And I, even though I was baptized as a baby in the, the denomination that I grew up in, I made the decision that I wanted to be baptized as an adult and making that choice on my own. So I made that decision, was baptized, and that's how you know I just came to know the Lord and got involved in some really dynamic Bible studies and groups, which just encouraged me. There's so much here in the area of Dallas as a young person to be involved in, and it really helped me with my my walk and my faith. Did you at any point during high school, college, uh, law school feel like ministry was going to be part of your future? You know, I think so, because I always just had such a passion. Like I told you at first, it was directed towards endangered species. I went and worked up in Washington, D.C. for endangered species work, and I just always felt, I knew I had a whole lot of passion. I grew up being in West Texas and being in a, in a fairly poor community. I had some great friends who were extremely poor. And so I, I always had a real heart for that and a passion for learning. And I certainly had a passion for travel and for international. So I didn't really know where that would take me. But by my early college years, I, I knew I was headed into something that I had to feel like I was making a real impact for the Lord and felt his calling on my life to do something. What was it that really captured your heart in the midst of that, that you kind of said, this, this is really where I feel like I need to be? You know, I think especially having kids that I was really close to in the inner city and seeing what they had suffered with not having a father role model in their life. And then knowing that the opportunities for them to be able to get out of that vicious cycle, there were a lot of people that had to come together to make that possible, but also especially how faith was such an important role playing into that, you know, and they had faith in their families and the, the faith that we could instill into these kids and the support that that's what really would make an impact. And so I felt like um, even in my legal work, I was dealing with moms who, you know, were single moms and handling children who also were in very difficult situations. And so just knowing that, that I really felt like families in crisis, children in crisis was something that is just exactly what I wanted to learn about, do everything I could and to realize it took more than just me, that it's a group of people and it's a team effort. What spurred you and your husband to adopt? What what was that time period like? And boy, that's a that's a big thing to chew off early in a marriage, uh, not having experience with other kids. That's that's a big move. What uh, what led to that? And tell me about that time of making that decision and going through that process. Well, I will tell you, it's not, it's not the typical way for sure. Um, my husband was involved in Urban Young Life in Austin. He was employed by Urban Young Life in Austin. So he also was in ministry and definitely with, you know, the same thing, same profile of kids, needy kids and was young coming out of UT. You know, we, we both had just such a heart and passion for these kids at risk. And so when I was able to go to Russia and he was able to go with me, it was the very first trip. And so we go into these orphanages and of course they're just precious kids. And this one particular young boy ran up to us and began calling us mama and papa immediately. And we were just like, none of the other kids are doing that. He's calling us mama and papa, you know, what are we supposed to do with this Lord? And so we would come back to our hotel room at night and it was so cold. It was December 
1995, and they were having one of the coldest winters on record, 17 below. So we had a lot of time contemplating, you know, in our room and just prayed about it a lot and just really felt that we were just like, you know, we, and I was there as director of adoption maternity to find families for all these children. And most of them were boys or sibling groups. You know, they weren't little cute little babies. They were these older kids and we didn't know about his special needs, but we just saw these kids and we just felt a call to adopt. And so when I came back and shared that with Mike, who was my boss at the time, he's like, he, you know, it just, I hand so much to him because he didn't say, you just can't do that. You know, he's like, well, the the organization I work for did not even have a policy that employees could adopt. So we had to change the board rules. We had to, they made a special rule that special needs children could be adopted, but we went about changing a lot of policies. And then ours was the very first international adoption for that organization. So it just made us kind of the guinea pigs in that respect. And our family thought we were crazy, of course. We are young, hadn't been married but a year. And now probably that wouldn't even be necessarily approved anymore. But the Lord knew what he was doing. And our son, who's nine, was more like a four-year-old. He didn't know how to read, write in Russian, didn't know, come to find out. He had, you know, a lot of different learning disabilities, but the Lord knew because it was like we were adopting a four-year-old, not a nine-year-old boy. Uh, Tell me about your work with Orphan Outreach. Start uh, just a little bit about the organization and maybe some of the countries that you're working in. So we started Orphan Outreach 15 years ago. We're in our 15-year anniversary this year, and um, there were a number of us who just really felt like we wanted to um, focus on Christian education Um, really meeting the needs of kids, not only in orphanages, but also kids in um, very vulnerable situations. A lot of these kids who are in very vulnerable populations and um, many kids that are sometimes the kids that are not in orphanages are worse off than the ones in orphanages. And so we just really wanted to make a long impact, long-term impact. We wanted to focus on countries where we go in, we come alongside them and we're there to stay. And so, um, So when we began 15 years ago, our focus was just, you know, really trying to reach out and find who really needed help, who wasn't being supported by anyone else in country, who matched the kind of the, you know, the emphasis and the focus that we had. And and we don't want to come alongside and say, this is how you do it, but how can we help you and how can we do this together to achieve the same goals? And so we started off um, in like five countries and then added other countries, but Guatemala, Honduras, Um, Russia, Ukraine, and uh, Latvia, then Kenya, and we also in India, Nepal, we're in India, Nepal. And so um, those are the countries that we work in. And we have been in almost all those countries now for 15 years and just taking mission teams in. We are um, doing everything from, you know, not only Christian schools and education, but we're also really trying to focus on families, family preservation, keeping the children in families, meeting the needs of those families through healthcare, um, medical food. And then also we're even building houses for families in Guatemala. We're um, providing smokeless stoves, but the the long-term goal being with these children can have an opportunity to receive an education, grow up to be independent Christian caring individuals in their homes and their families and communities. And that same thing for our aging out kids, you know, it's a little different with kids who come out of the orphanage, but again, they don't have family. They don't have a way to um, become independent and, and live successfully and be a part and productive in their communities and just have no family. So that's what we, 
that's what we do with our Aging Out program as well. So that's that's a little bit about Orphan Outreach. Tell me about, uh, you just took a trip to Guatemala. You just literally got back a few days ago. Tell me a little bit about your trip and some of the things you did while you were there. Well, these past two years during COVID, we have not traveled at all internationally. Um, none of us is a staff here in the States. And so we are trying to get out to each country, each program, and see how things are, see who we can take mission teams back in. So Guatemala, that was the first trip for us as a staff to get to Guatemala. It was just fantastic to see our staff. I think the overwhelming feeling for all of us was just seeing each other again, pouring into each other, just as it has been for all of us. We were, you know, in our homes for so long and didn't see people, that hunger to be able to fellowship and be with others. And and it was just so rewarding to see how they'd worked so hard these past two years, all the ways the programs had grown, even though we weren't on the ground there with them. But especially just seeing those beautiful faces of the people in Guatemala, the hearing their stories of the way that they had been blessed through our ministry and through food and people walking alongside them when they had no one else and they were struggling, you know, so much through COVID and education. Kids have been out of school for two years. They're just now starting back in Guatemala, literally this past week or starting back in public schools. And it's still very staggered just being able to, you know, see everything again and visit people and that beautiful country was just such a blessing. One of the shifts, I guess, you've made over the years is not just engaging at the orphanage level, but you were just talking about this family preservation model. Let's see if we can help families before children are orphaned. Talk for a moment about that, what that looks like. Well, I can tell you a specific story of just how how we pour into these families and how we focus on family preservation. There were two children that are part of a program that we have in Chimaltenango, Guatemala, and they lost their mother to COVID, their grandmother to COVID, and then they were they had then been moved to an uncle and aunt. The uncle then ended up passing away from COVID. And just this incredibly sad situation. And so we have a Christian social worker on staff and a Christian psychologist and other staff that know the family very well. And literally our staff got together and got relatives together and said, you know, someone needs to take care of these children. They're going to go to an orphanage and really having to help them figure out who could take care or would do a good job of taking care of these children. And so it ended up being eventually another aunt came forward and they realized she was a good fit. And then of course, you know, they, they processed the social workers, helped them process the documents and those children have been moved to that family. But that's just an example, just one example during COVID of how the relationships with these families, it extends, you know, so far beyond just even just those children and their immediate family, but even having a good placement, making sure that they're in a good situation. Our psychologist is now doing trauma care for these families because they've been through so much. And most of these children from an abuse and neglect situations all have had trauma. But not only have they had trauma, it's because their parents had trauma. And so there's so much healing that needs to happen. And our psychologist was just sharing with us. She's doing these lessons. She started in parent workshops and and they've had the highest, the highest numbers they've ever seen of children who are talking about suicide. She shared with us about a nine-year-old boy who literally tried to kill himself. You know, it's just it's so sad, but I think the isolation during COVID, the hopelessness and, you know, the poverty that they're in have endured these last couple of years has just been so overwhelming. We've heard about it here in the States too. And so 
Whereas here in the States, you have lots of organizations who hopefully people can reach out to and talk to, you know, in, in Guatemala and these other countries, third world countries, they don't have those organizations. It's literally whoever's who's there who can provide that care. So we're so thankful. We were so moved to hear how they're pouring into these families' lives just now more than ever because of what they've been going through these last couple of years. Yeah, that's incredible. And this trauma is so important to be dealt with at as young an age as possible to try to get them on the right path. You also mentioned poverty, always an issue in many of these countries. And I love the practical nature of some of the work you do. You mentioned it, smokeless stoves. There are people living in very small one-room shacks, if you will, and the stove is a wood-burning stove in their home, and that smoke is just constantly in their lungs, which we know cannot be healthy for them and leads to sickness and illness. Talk for a moment about the practical nature of the smokeless stove. Well, not only is it just horrible for them physically and medically, but then also children have a tendency to fall into the fire We've seen that happen time and time again. The women spend and girls spend so much time gathering the firewood just to keep the fire going. And so they're incredibly dangerous. And as you said, they're huts. I mean, so many of them have bamboo huts that are entirely also unsafe. Dirt floors, bamboo huts, and a smoking fire in the middle of a very small room. So the smokeless stoves that we've been putting in are made of cinder block. They have a metal pipe that takes the all of the the smoke and everything out of that room and so that they're not breathing anymore it actually stays hotter than other stoves they can continue they don't have to spend near the time you know heating it with wood collecting the firewood that takes away from women being able to do other things or leaving children at home alone so it's pretty amazing to just see the impact that a smokeless stove can make in our final moments together i want to move to the part of the world that seems to be on everybody's mind these days you said that you all work with children and organizations in russia ukraine latvia your son came from russia Uh, Here we are facing some incredibly horrific situations there, and I'm not sure where it will be when this program airs, but I know that you've been in contact with your people there. You're getting updates. Tell us about what's happening with the ministries you work with there and, and maybe some things we could be praying about related to that. Sure. We just so appreciate that. Well, we have an orphan graduate program in Ukraine, so we have 31 young adults who have aged out of the orphan system. So they're anywhere from 16 to mid twenties. We have that program in all of our Eastern European countries. And that's because they've been in government run orphanages. They have never learned how to even go to the grocery store and buy something, how to manage their money, how to get a job, how to know where to live. They just don't have any, any family to speak of. And so our staff there, we have social workers, again, psychologists and counselors, and we are providing them with that ongoing care. We're literally their family. We're helping them learn independent living skills, how to, you know, how to work through things as, as individuals, even we just how to get along with other people, how to stand up for yourself. We provide medical and health care, food, um, helping them if they're going on to university or to a vocational program, helping them work through that. And these kids don't have a lot of rights in Ukraine. So helping them with even how to, you know, negotiate things and what they're entitled to. So, of course, a big part of that is it's all done with Christian materials, you know, Christian staff. We get them plugged into the local church. Well, then along comes this war that has just it's dispersed our kids, basically. So we had to and they're young adults. We had to see who wanted to leave the country, could leave the country for safety reasons and help them make that decision 
So, um, of course, the young men will have to stay. Y'all have probably heard about the martial law that you have to stay. It doesn't mean they have to fight. They're not required to right now, but the men cannot leave the country. So we've had seven of our young adults made their way by van to the border with Romania and were able to get across the border with Romania yesterday. We're so thankful for ministry partners that we've known for years in Romania that reached out and said, we can help. So those girls, one is a mom with a young boy, the age of four, they made it across. And we now know they, a pastor picked them up and they're working on housing right now in Romania, but even it's all just being decided, are they going to stay there? Where are they going to go? Providing all the needs that they have right now in Romania, but we're so thankful they're there. They've had quite a journey. And then several of the kids made it to a Young Life facility that's right there at the border with Poland. And um, that was one of the places that housed them and is continuing to house other refugees that are young. And so some of our kids are there with one of the staff that did not, most of them are guys that, that did not want to leave um, or couldn't leave. And then we have an, a large number that are back in Dnipro. Dnipro is spelled D-N-I-P-R-O. If you look it up on a, on a map. There, there's very, you know, fighting's very close to there. It's a major city for Ukraine. They've had lots of air raids. They've been down in basements. They are all um, in different places. Some are out a little bit out in the country. Some are, you know, have been, they were in our office, but then they ended up moving to safer locations. We're providing food, water, care for them. We have staff there that are focused on those kids. They're almost all young men. We have two of our graduates, our Paralympic kids who are so talented and they have been representing Ukraine in the Paralympics. Um, one just traveled recently to Japan for Ukraine. They are there as well. And we have another one that's in Kiev and she's married and she has cerebral palsy, but she is 20 weeks pregnant and just, you know, they, they are too afraid to leave. And so, so it's very real and very personal for us. We love all these kids so much. I don't think any of us can begin to imagine what it's like to be there and know what you know, our Ukrainian friends are going through, but it's just, um, it's tragic for them. It's tragic for our Russian staff who are devastated by this. You can imagine, they all know the Ukrainian kids and staff very well. Our Latvian staff are also feel the same way. And I will tell you the Russian graduates we have, Latvian staff, all of them are all right now praying and talking about what do we do? You know, what, where, I mean, they're also contemplating, do we get out? Do we stay? What happens if they bomb Russia. You know, our graduates are talking about that today, right now um, in Russia. We've got a number of graduates there, but they're making a plan for what happened. So, so it is just, it's, it's, our hearts are heavy for sure. We're, we're thankful though, for seeing things like I got a picture just before this started of our kids in Romania from the day before where it was just really sad and bleak and seeing them, you know, before they crossed the border to the picture of them with the pastor's family the little kids smiling, you know, smiles on their faces was just, oh, it's, it's just done all of us so much good to see that. And I, I will say, Colin, like the thing that has come back to me time and time again is that the Lord just, he, we know he has a hand in everything. We know he has a plan. We know he's protecting everyone. But just to see this full circle of like a ministry partner we worked with years ago in Romania that reached out to me, I'm in Guatemala and bombing stars. And he says, I'm here to help in Romania. And I had no idea we'd end up with kids from Ukraine, you know, partnering with, you know, partnering and being there with him, knowing they're in great hands. But those people the Lord brings into your path all along the way, there's a plan and purpose in all of it. And, and we feel so 
so great knowing they're there, they're safe. It just is the, I guess it's the the peace and assurance in this very difficult time of knowing the Lord's taking care of things. He has his hand of protection over them and we need to trust him. So incredible. Uh, just finally, how, how can we pray for you and your organization, your team? You know, I think right now, especially just praying for wisdom for all of our staff, especially those in Russia, Latvia, and Ukraine right now for how to care, best care for the kids and their care for obviously peace. We're all praying for that, but continue prayers for peace, protection for these kids and for our staff, for just wisdom and how to move forward and really making the right decisions and and especially just prayers for, you know, the resources that we can receive to provide for them. This is something we've shared in all the years of orphan care that we've been doing this. We've never dealt with orphan care during a war. This is new for all of us, you know, so many of us. And so just praying that we really have the resources to provide for them and that we're able to continue to do that in these countries. So critical. You know, I just heard last week that there were already over 100,000 orphans in Ukraine, and that was before the winds of war swept in from Russia. Amy and her team are working diligently, even now with a team that helps orphans and those who've graduated out or aged out of the younger programs to find a place to land. But Amy said even she does not know how this war will affect their work on the ground or if it will be allowed to continue at all. The children and the teams need our prayers. I hope you'll join me in that. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to talk to a man who's been focused almost his entire life on directing lost souls to Christ. Well, if you've enjoyed the show today, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback from me, I want to hear from you as well. Please email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. That's clambert at missionstoday.com. And please follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.